Workforce Health Engagement, Episode 25, for stronger motivation, promote energy, not just good health, featuring Tom Rath, brought to you by Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm helping midsize and large employers enhance the well-being and performance of their workforce. Learn more at AspendaleCommunications.com. Welcome to Workforce Health Engagement, a show exploring strategies to improve your employees' health and productivity and to protect your bottom line. Join us as industry experts discuss how to engage employees in population health management, wellness, and healthcare consumerism. This is a special series by the producers of the top-rated podcast, Engaging Leader. And now, with 20 years of experience as a communication consultant to Fortune 500 companies, helping engage hundreds of thousands of employees, here's your host, Jesse Leahy. Welcome to the show, Engagers. Making the connection between better health decisions and daily energy levels does far more to change employee behavior than telling them about longer-term health consequences. You know, at most organizations, a workforce health strategy includes communication and education to motivate and equip employees and their families to reduce health risks, improve well-being, and prevent the development of serious and expensive health problems. But according to research scientist Tom Rath, the typical health messages aren't very effective in motivating people on an ongoing basis to make healthier decisions, not even people who are already facing life-threatening conditions. Tom Rath is a senior scientist and advisor to the Gallup organization, where he helps people and organizations reach their potential. Tom was featured in our Workforce Health Engagement Episode 2, Wellness Communication and Education, which information and messages truly help. His previous best-selling books include Well-Being, The Five Essential Elements, and Eat, Move, Sleep, Why Small Choices Make a Big Difference. His newest book is Are You Fully Charged? Three Keys to Energizing Your Work and Life. Today we'll discuss why the typical wellness messages aren't very effective, and we'll share examples of messages that are more effective. Tom Rath, welcome back to Workforce Health Engagement. Thanks so much. It's great to talk to you. Tom, most wellness programs spend a lot of time educating employees about creating a healthier lifestyle. But you have to ask, is it really motivating people to change their daily behaviors? What have you found? You know, what I've found overall is that most health and wellness-focused programs and organizations today are very well-intended, and you have a lot of people who are very passionate about making a difference in organizations working on them. But in most cases, they're not having the intended effect with the average employee that a lot of us had hoped for a long time ago. So I've spent quite a bit of time studying this area in wellness and HR and organizations, especially in the U.S. over the last few years. And you know, if, if you go back, a lot of these programs evolved because we've obviously had just a freight train of out-of-control healthcare costs coming at us for the last 15, 20 years that just continues to get worse. And so we started to build programs to remediate uh, soaring rates of disease burden and so forth. And so you've got a lot of organizations have what's plugged in what's called a health risk appraisal, or they have disease management programs. And if you were to go back and look at how that was all brought about and framed, you couldn't pick poor ways to describe programs and get employees engaged in <laughs> disease management program, and you're going to take a health risk appraisal. I, it sounds like companies are trying to find out what's wrong with your physiology so they can fire you. 
And so those have all kind of evolved as the defaults in companies, but they're not the kinds of things that get individual employees on the whole really interested in creating more energy that makes a difference for their productivity and for their personal lives overall. And so I think we need to challenge ourselves to go back and look at the way we're describing these things, the way we're framing it, the language we're using, and the intent with employees so that if, if I choose to be a part of an organization to really simplify this, how can you show me that my life can be better because I'm a part of this organization instead of working for a competitor or doing something on my own? And to me, that's kind of the fulfillment of what the compact between a person and an organization should look like in the future instead of it just being, I will pay you to do this for X number of hours. And that's kind of the foundation of most agreements right now because when I was at Gallup, we asked people if they're overall well-being is significantly higher because of the organization they work for today. And just 12% of people strongly agreed that their well-being is a lot higher because of the company they're a part of. The vast majority either disagreed or were neutral, which means most people in the U.S. at least perceive that being a part of their organization is a detriment to their Hmm. well-being of their lives. That's something that I think about every day and trying to figure out how do we fix that. And I think if we start to address that problem, like the most effective leaders in human resources and executives, they, they did a really good job of bringing employees in to say, how can we all be more engaged for your sake and for the sake of the organization? We need to start to do that around well-being and the elements of well-being, including health as well, and look at it from more of that. How can we ensure we all show up with the energy we need to be productive tomorrow, which is a totally different question from how do you eliminate diabetes for 20% of your population? Right. Well, we had Doug Stover from Gallup join us back on episode 22 to talk about reframing in terms of this whole broader well-being discussion rather than just health and wellness and the significant difference that makes when companies approach it from the, the broader perspective and how that increases both the reality of what they're helping employees with but also the employees' trust in the organization. But you just mentioned energy. That is a somehow it provides it makes it easier for people to see the connection between their daily decisions about their health and the impact on their life. That it seems to be easier for people to be motivated about when it's connected with these shorter term wins than talking about some kind of long term consequences. Can you break that down for us? Yeah, and that's where all of my research in the last year is focused and writing for this new book is what are the core elements where each of us as as human beings can feel fully charged, not just fully charged for the sake of our own health and well-being, but fully charged so that we're making as much of a difference as possible for the people we love and care about and serve. And that's, if if you want to be fully charged on a given day-to-day basis, it it requires kind of getting into some of the work about what are the key elements of daily well-being. And I mean, to really oversimplify it from the work I've been doing, if you want to have a day where you're fully charged, all, what you need is to do a little bit of meaningful work that you see and recognize. You need to have a lot more positive than negative interactions, at least 80% positive. And you need to think about how the way you eat and move and sleep continues to create a cycle of more and more physical energy so that you're putting that first in order to be more effective for other people instead of putting your own health on the back burner just so you can get more done in a narrow focus. I'm wondering whether personal energy is an intrinsic motivator that appeals universally to all types of people, or is it just people like you and me, Tom, that, that would, it would motivate us to make a change in our daily behaviors? You know, it, it, that's, that's one of the best questions I've heard or thought about in a while. 
Because it is, it's an intrinsic motivator when you go deeper in the thought on it. Because on the surface, if you see somebody who's always working out first, if I, I kind of had this stigma when I entered the workplace. Well, if I go work out in the middle of the day and I'm the one always being the most active and I say I need to get enough sleep so I'm not going to be the first one there at seven in the morning, that sends a different message than kind of the achievement orientation in organizations for other people, right? Mm-hmm. So I think it requires a little bit of shift in our thinking to say, if your goal is to do as much as possible for other people in this world, which let's say that's a mutually kind of altruistic, intrinsic goal we agree on, then it's not actually selfish to put your own health first based on everything I've studied. It's not selfish at all because if you don't get a good night's sleep, if you don't get some activity early on in the day, and if you eat really poorly, there's no way you can be as good a teacher for the students in your classroom at two o'clock in the afternoon there's no way you can be as good a spouse, as good a parent, as good a leader or manager in the workplace if you're not doing those things well on a regular daily basis. I was just thinking about how to take this message about energy and make sure that it motivates people. Are you familiar with Henry Murray or David McClellan, who were contemporaries of Abraham Maslow and did related research on psychological needs? Yes, real familiar with McClellan's work in particular. So I was thinking about the impact or power motive that he identified that said that one of the key motivations when people want to have an influence on other people or make a difference in their lives. So even if it's not that maybe I care about my energy, but as you just described, you talk about how that makes a difference in your ability to influence other people or make a difference in their lives. You know, you, you want to have the energy to deliver that presentation that impresses the audience or inspire your kids to pursue their dreams or innovate the next iPhone that changes the world. You got to make sure you eat, move and sleep appropriately. Right. And that does, I think for a lot of us who have kind of grown up with this thought about just trying to be as altruistic and do things for others every day, it requires getting over the part about, is it selfish to put my eight hours of sleep and my exercise ahead of other things that are demands of a day. But the more you do that, the more you can do for other people. That's clear to me from my personal experience. It's clear to me from my research that essentially putting your own energy ahead of other things is a precursor to doing as much to influence and help other people. Now, some in our listening audience, I think might be skeptical about it, not talking about health risks and this is going to help you avoid cancer or heart attack. But that when we say that talking about people's mortality or threats to their mortality, it's a poor motivator. I mean, they may be skeptical of that, but not only in your research, but in your personal health and journey, that bears out that even a profound threat doesn't truly motivate a person. Yeah, you know, it's, I mean, there, there are probably, there are exceptions to everything, as I know, as kind of a researcher. But I mean, you take, I'm a pretty good example, I think, of most people I've talked to and interviewed that, you know, I, I currently have cancer in my kidneys, in my pancreas, in my spine, all kinds of areas. And I've been battling cancer for a long time. And I know that the food choices I make, for example, do absolutely either help my odds or worsen my odds based on what I'm doing on a day-to-day basis. But yet it's still not a good motivator at all for skipping the cheeseburger and French fries at lunch today. What, <laughs> what is a good motivator is knowing that I need enough physical energy to keep up with my four-year-old and my six-year-old when I'm done with work today so I can go out and run around with them outside on a nice day. It's more about finding immediate short-term motivators that are consistent with those long-term goals about being healthier, reducing heart disease, reducing cancer disease burden. But you kind of have to find the short-term incentive to carry you there. So it's easier for me to 
work on my treadmill throughout the day because I know I need to keep working at three or four o'clock and have enough energy. And that makes me more likely to do it than knowing that it decreases my chance of cardiovascular risk 20 years down the road. And I think most people understand that piece. So all those long-term goals are absolutely right. And it's important to change those outcomes over time. That's the whole point of what I spent a lot of time talking about and working on. But you kind of have to get people there with a bridge through short-term incentives and thinking on a day-to-day basis. Same thing with well-being. So the typical messages about long-term health consequences aren't as effective in motivating people to make sustained changes toward a healthier lifestyle. So I'm just thinking, if you're the, the vice president of HR, what kinds of messages or motivations would be more effective? If we sort of play, say this, not that, typical message might be, stick with a daily exercise regimen. It, it may help you prevent cancer several years down the road. What's a more effective message to send people, Tom? Well, a more effective message than just that kind of a broadcast to people would be, we're starting something new and start it with the person who's the the leader who's broadcasting it, whether that's a VP of HR or a CFO, whoever it might be, who's, we're starting a new thing where we're doing stand-up meetings for 15 minutes or we're we're going outdoors and encouraging people to get out and walk around more to get some activity throughout the day. Or we're putting in stations that people can try out on a hour by hour basis where they can walk while they work. There's a there's a place, a company in the documentary that we're working on in Minneapolis who not only do they have treadmill desks and stand up sit down desks available to all their employees, but they even have meeting rooms where in the middle of the winter in Minneapolis, you can go have a walking meeting indoors with four treadmills facing one another, which I, I'd love to have that set up. <laughs> yeah. But they, but I think companies need to set some good examples there. And a lot of it honestly just starts with leaders. I, I met I met recently Doug Conan, who was one of my heroes as a leader, old CEO of Campbell's Soup. And you know one of my favorite stories from him was the way he just for a couple hours a day at their headquarters, he'd put on his white tennis shoes with his suit and just walk around the campus and talk to people for several hours each day. And I mean, think about the two messages that sent about the interactions and social peace with colleagues, and then also about just getting some activity and being somebody who leads by walking around. It's little things like that that show people, through example, what is possible and what is valued. A lot of it's about what's valued by the organizational culture, right? If you have an executive group or a CEO who's saying, we, we want everybody to have health and well-being and we want everybody to do all these healthy things, and then they're not doing any of those things themselves. It might even do more harm than good to try and tell people you care about their well-being. Yeah. So it's it's one of the rare places where it's not like, you know, the strength stuff I've seen and been a part of with strengths and development. You can get a little grassroots team of 10 people in a small division of a big company in Cincinnati who are excited about doing something there. But with with some of these health and wellness and well-being programs, they really do need more lead by example and advocacy at a high level than I've seen in other cases. Tom, we've been talking a lot about your your newest book, Are You Fully Charged? Three Keys to Energizing Your Work and Life. But you also this year came out with a brand new edition of Eat, Move, and Sleep. Tell us what's new in that book. Yeah, you know, when we step back and looked, I mean, one, we had to update a lot of information around eating, moving, and sleeping because unlike management research, health research is moving so quickly in a good way, a lot of progress. So we updated it with all the new information on the latest research in health. But we also added a whole new chapter and section that specifically, it just speaks to the very focused topic of how do you create well-being in organizations. So there's a section specifically for leaders of organizations, a section for wellness champions and people in HR, and a section for managers who manage people and how do you, what do you do at a team level like that. And that's based on a lot of the work I've done over the last years about what are the key elements that need to be in place in order to start a real organizational conversation that's about how we can all be more productive, 
have more energy. And I mean, if you think about this, step back for a minute, there's no reason why we should go home from work in a poor physical state than when we showed up in the morning. Mm. But most of us do. Nobody wants that. I, I would like to go home with a little more energy and a little healthier at the end of the day instead of a little worse off, which is the default right now. That's right. So how can folks take advantage of all this research that you've done? They can get their hands in their book. Are, are you also available for consulting or how, how do folks work with you? Yeah, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of time not only working on the books and documentary, but also writing articles and speaking and working with organizations who are really serious about making a difference, especially in that area of, of health and well-being. So it's pretty easy to connect with me or find any of those things on the website. And I think that the documentary we've been working on, I hope, that's on this topic of are you fully charged and all about meaning and interactions and energy, I'm hoping that'll help maybe a little wider audience in an organizational context to be able to learn from some of the best minds and researchers in this field. Where that's, I mean, what I'm most passionate about is there are so many really smart and amazing academic researchers from my colleagues at Gallup to people at major universities across the country who have done really groundbreaking work in the last 10 years that I don't think enough people know about yet and are applying inside their organizations. So we've tried to pull those experts together, both in the video and in the books we've been working on. So this documentary video, Fully Charged, it, it features interviews with leading experts as well as showing some real-life examples. You also have a mobile app that's coming out. How do you pronounce that? Wellbe? Wellbe, yeah. And it's, that's based on all the, you know, there's been such a trend lately that I've, I've been very close to and studying with wearable technology. And I know it seems like it's kind of on the fringe in a lot of cases right now with all the Fitbits and Jawbones and Garmin and, and the Apple and Android devices coming out. But I think it's pretty clear to me that as soon as those devices hit kind of a mainstream level there and you have a lot of people and organizations using them, just having that kind of daily measure of how you're feeling and how active you are and so forth is a really good way to stir more meaningful behavioral change the next day and so on. And so that app brings together data. So if, if you wear a jawbone and I wear a Fitbit and we have a third friend that wears a Garmin device and you're on iOS and I'm on Android, it brings all those data together in this WellBe app so that individuals can kind of compete and see a leaderboard. And then on the organizational end, it gives people in HR a back end so they can provide incentives for eating, moving, or sleeping well based on all these data coming in and actually kind of give immediate gift cards you win to Amazon or whatever it might be for the people who have shown the most improvement. So it turns the typical mindset of incenting and rewarding around disease state once a year to rewarding behavioral change on a daily basis on the back end of that app. The book again is Are You Fully Charged? Three Keys to Energizing Your Work and Life. And you can find a lot more at Tom's website, tomrath.org. Tom, thank you for joining us on Workforce Health Engagement. Thanks so much. It's been fun talking with you. All right, Engagers, that wraps up this episode. If you're interested in hearing more about the book, check out our Engaging Leader podcast, episode 112, to hear Tom and I dig into several of the proven tips about meaning, interactions, and energy to help you and your employees get fully charged. We'll provide a link to that podcast, as well as to Tom's book and his website and his mobile app and everything on our show notes at engagingleader.com forward slash WHE25 as in Workforce Health Engagement, Episode 25. Now, you can find both Workforce Health Engagement and Engaging Leader podcasts in iTunes, Stitcher, and on our website at engagingleader.com. Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, Cecily Leahy, our web intern, Rick Terrence, our announcer, 
and Max Brody, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, over the long term, a program of the day will not help you boost employee health, productivity, and your bottom line. For sustainable success, you need an integrated approach to workforce health engagement.